Welcome back. And today's episode is another uh, interview style episode. And I'm really excited to hear what my guest today has to say. Um, so without further ado, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, where you're from, how you're involved. Um, yeah, all, all things of who are you? <laughs> Hi, yeah, my name is Tara Harrington, and I am a troop leader in Michigan. Um, I live on the, the west coast of Michigan in Girl Scouts um, Shore to Shore, Michigan Shore to Shore, and I am a troop leader. I have two troops that I lead right now. I have a troop of second grade brownies, so they're all second graders, and there are 17 of them, so 17 crazy second graders. And then I have a troop of fifth graders, fifth grade juniors that um, have been with me since we started in kindergarten and there's 13 of them. So two pretty large troops plus, um, so I have two daughters, one in each troop. And then I also help out, we have a trailblazer troop in our service unit and I assist with that troop um, in various ways. And then I've done other crazy things to help with the service unit through the years. Um, the most things I'm known for, I, I run a cookie cupboard at my house during cookie season. So I am the, the local cookie lady. Cookie lady. Um, and then I also have become the, the camp coordinator for our service unit who kind of spearheads some camping events each um, spring and fall where we all get out and, and do fun things at camp. So that's the overview. So many questions. <laughs> I'm so excited to hear all the things, but let's start with, I think you called it trailblazer troop. Can you tell me what that is? And um, I don't know how it works in your council. Yeah. So we were approached, goodness, it's probably been about two years ago now, um, a leader in our service unit was approached by our council. The Girl Scouts USA was looking for um, trying to revive this trailblazer program. And the vision for it is that it's, it's cadet level girls and older, and it's really supposed to be a backpacking focused um, as Girl Scouts guidelines go. It's supposed to be a backpacking focused group. Well, the leader that was approached took it to the service unit and said, hey, um, council wants to do this. I don't want to do it on my own. I'm interested. Who wants to help me? Um, but I want to expand it beyond backpacking. I want it to be kind of an outdoor adventure uh, troop, less of a backpacking solely troop. It's more of an outdoor adventure troop. So that's what it looks like for us. Um, and we actually have expanded it beyond um, just cadets. We actually do juniors and up. So we kind of have a junior trailblazer crew as well as a cadet level and older. Um, and we run it. It's a bonus troop. So girls can be only in trailblazers or they can be in trailblazers plus their normal troop, which most girls are in, in two troops with that do it. And it's, um, we, we run it as an a la carte model. So all of our events are, are single one-off events um, and girls pay to attend that specific event. So for example, we did horseback riding. If you want to do horseback riding, you register and you pay the event fee to go horseback riding. Um, if you want to go canoeing, you register and pay to go canoeing, um, hiking. So some of the fees are really low because there's no cost really to put it on like orienteering or hiking. And then other things have a higher cost to them depending on what the adventure is. Um, since 
last March. We haven't done anything with the Trailblazer Troop due to the pandemic, um, but we are trying to get things going again now for some outdoor activities this summer. Um, so we're looking forward to it because my girls love doing outdoor stuff. That sounds like so much fun. Um, so I had a conversation kind of similar to this recently. So um, I mean, I guess I just want to ask the same question. I feel like the equivalent of this doesn't exist in my council. And I feel like the mentality where I am is kind of like, I mean, your troop would do those kind of activities. And if your troop isn't doing them, then like council might offer some opportunities like that, um, or you could find another troop. I don't know. And so I guess I'm a, I'm a little interested and also confused about the need for it to be I mean, is it a separate troop? And so girls have membership in both troops. I, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm a little unclear on that. <laughs> well, I definitely think there's the possibility that it could become a standalone troop thing. I think a lot of it is driven by retention of girls. You know, it, it becomes harder to retain those girls once they get to the the sixth grade level and older. And so finding things that they're interested in, you know, you have girls that are very interested in outdoor activities. And then, you know, I know at least with my troop of fifth graders, um, you know, half to two thirds really like doing the outdoorsy stuff. And I have a couple that are like, nah, Miss Tara, I am not a fan of those outdoor activities. Um, so we still do the balance. Um, and I think it also depends on the leaders and the training that the leaders have. So the idea here is you have leaders that not only like to do outdoor stuff, but we've been trained. We've been trained in our, our backpacking skills and our outdoor camping skills. And we have the first aid certification. We have the lifeguarding and the small craft certification so that we can do the water activities. Um, whereas your average troop leader might not be interested in getting all of those trainings. Um, so that's the benefit there is that we can we can kind of pull on things and um, and, and, you know, offer a variety of activities. But like I said, we've, we've pretty much been doing an a la carte model. Our service unit's pretty large. Um, prior to the pandemic, we had over 500 girls K through 12 in our, our service unit, which is just our school district. Um, and so that troop was pulling from just our service unit. It wasn't even council wide. Um, and each event that we had, it would fill up pretty fast because the girls were interested in doing those things as a one-off bonus um, to their normal activities. I guess that all does make sense because you're totally right. As you, as your girls get older, especially as the numbers dwindle, let's say, you know, there's a troop of five to, to I mean, 10 girls would be great in middle school who half of them love outdoor stuff and the other half don't. How, I mean, it's not necessarily that easy to just find another middle school troop or to like, you don't really want to redefine your troop boundaries at that point. The girls have been together. They want to stay together. So actually, I guess I do get it. Um, okay. So you're obviously an outdoor family. You said both your kids um, love doing outdoors, the outdoors activities, and you're the camp coordinator. Were you already an outdoorsy family before Girl Scouts or has that brought that out in you? So my background... Um, I was not, well, I was a Girl Scout for a hot second. I like to say, I think second grade, I was a brownie for a year or part of a year. 
Um, but I grew up going to camp. So camp is where my heart is. I worked at camp many summers after I graduated high school through college, even after I got married, my husband and I met at camp. Um, so my passion's always been at camp, not a specifically Girl Scout camp, but just doing camp and doing things outside. Um, and so for me, Girl Scouts has been a way to kind of bring camp and outdoor activities back into my world a little bit and share that with, with a bigger sphere of people. Um, I love that. That's a really cool background. Okay. So let's talk about getting involved as a volunteer. So you mentioned you have the two troops and two daughters. So were you, you, your passion was with camp, not necessarily with Girl Scouts. Were you planning on being a Girl Scout leader with your oldest um, or did it just sort of happen by necessity? How did you get involved as a volunteer? Yeah. So I, um, I was curious about Girl Scouts. Part of it was my daughter, she, she's not super athletic. Like she doesn't love the sports thing. We tried the dance thing. It really wasn't our thing. And I was looking for a way just to get her connected and involved that didn't necessarily require any special talent. I was like, well, what about Girl Scouts? And honestly, didn't even know much about the program, didn't know much about the curriculum at the time. And I showed up and they said, okay, yeah, sure. As long as you're the troop leader, we can, we can do Girl Scouts. And um, being the kind of person that I am, I was like, oh, well, that can't be that hard. I'll, I'll give it a try, right? Um, and so at the time, I got talked into something that was way over my head. Um, instead of taking my little group of, of kindergartners and starting a daisy troop, I got talked into a, a multi-level troop with, uh, I think it was kindergarten through fourth grade at the time. And uh, 20 girls, like right off the bat. <laughs> and I, I had no idea what I was doing at all, like none whatsoever. Um, and slowly after a couple of months, I, I found help from my service unit and other leaders. And I was kind of able to peel off some of the girls that were the oldest girls and, and start to make a plan. Um, and it, it, was a, it was a really rough beginning. Uh, and I'm thankful that I was able to persevere and stick with it because I do love being a leader and I love seeing the girls uh, learn and try and do new things. But that, that beginning was was really bad. Are you comfortable expanding on that? What was really hard about it? Because you're not alone. So many people have rough starts and um, frankly, it's a deterrent to a lot of people. And and one of the things I really want to do is um, in my local area, I want to be a better ally to new leaders. And additionally, I want this um, podcast to serve as a resource. If there is somebody listening who's starting out and they're having a hard time, um, what, what did that look like for you? And how did you, how did you push through it? Yeah. So I don't want to disparage anybody. Um, so our troop was started at the guidance of our, our local council recruiter. And I, I didn't know that, that taking on a multi-level troop it, at that time, it would have been Daisy Brownie Jr. Um, for a brand new leader that has no experience as a volunteer was, was a lot to take on. And I had no idea because I, I hadn't done anything in Girl Scouts before. And so, um, you know, I kind of got, I kind of got some bad advice. I kind of got 
felt taken advantage of a little bit. Um, now I'm really thankful that once I was able to connect with people in my local area, they were able to give me a lot of great training and advice. And they were able to help me, like I said, portion off some of the girls that were my juniors, I was able to send to a different troop, um, you know, to hook them up with somebody else so that I only had daisies and brownies. Um, you know, one thing that I learned from that, um, about a year and a half after I started my troop, I became active in the service unit uh, with the recruiting team really helping to bring on um, new leaders and to start troops in what I call a, a smart, sustainable way. And we're fortunate in our area. We, um, we are a large school district and we have a troop at pretty much every elementary school has a troop per grade level. So that means at my kids' elementary school, there is a kindergarten, a first, a second, a third, a fourth grade troop. Um, and we have eight elementary schools in our school district. So all eight schools, have a troop and we have like 50 some troops total in the service unit. Um, so what that means is those troops are being started with eight to 10 girls, a single grade level, a single uh, badge level, at least to start. And that's way more manageable um, for a leader. And I also came alongside, you know, those leaders and started doing some um, new leader orientation and training and pointing them towards some of my favorite resources um, so that they would have some, some, you know, things to look at as they're starting to plan their meetings, even offering to, you know, go to a first meeting or two with them if they wanted me to come as like a, you know, fly on the wall to see what was going on. Um, but I really feel like multi-level troops can be great. And I know Sarah has a multi-level troop herself, um, but I don't know that it's best to start your troop leader experience in a multi-level situation if you've never volunteered with Girl Scouts before, if you never were a Girl Scout, like a long-standing Girl Scout, and you're really familiar with the program and the curriculum, because it is it is challenging. It adds a layer each each level you add to the um, to the mix, it, it elevates the challenge and the the complication to it. So that's I guess that's my big my big takeaway from my beginning. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and I like that you called it smart and sustainable. I think um, I completely agree. If you don't have Girl Scout experience, even what the levels are or what the differences between them is all going to be new information, and that definitely would be overwhelming. I think if you, perhaps if you were partnered with somebody who had a lot of experience, that might still be doable. But if you really are on your own, or if it, if you and your co-leaders are all brand new, then a single level, I think, makes sense as far as ease. I think you're totally right. Additionally, I, um, and I think I've talked about this on here before, there's definitely pros to both models. I grew up uh, as a girl, I was in a single level troop and I loved that experience. And to me, that's what Girl Scouts was until I, I mean, I moved across the country and in my council now, multi-level troops are super common. I think, I mean, I don't know because I don't have the numbers at this point, but at one time more common than single level troops. And so it also kind of varies by area. But for sure, I think you're totally right. If you don't have any scope, you're literally starting at zero of what Curl Scouts is. Multi-level is super complicated for sure. Um, okay, well, what is one of your proudest moments as a Girl Scout volunteer? Oh, wow. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, I've been fortunate to 
be recognized um, with a couple of awards from my council for you know, my commitment and my service um, to our service unit and to the council. So it's really nice to be to be recognized for that. You know, we're volunteers. We put a lot of effort into things and it's it feels really good when someone else um, nominates you for an award just to say, well done. You're not doing it for the award, but man, it, it feels really good to be recognized for that. Definitely. That's a good one. And I think recognition is something that a lot of areas really struggle with. Um, but you're totally right. Getting recognized feels great and it matters. It's important. Um, what's one of the coolest adventures or experiences that you've gotten to do with either of your troops or one from each, if you want? <laughs> um, you know, I've talked a lot about camp. So, um, we are not like hardcore camp out people, although we're working towards that. So I have fifth graders and second graders. Um, but when I started doing Girl Scouts, the vision of camp that my service unit had, that my council had, was it was a pretty rustic vision of camp. You know, it was you go there and you 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 cook all your meals and you you set up your tents and it's it's a lot to take on for a, a, a larger troop of younger girls. And so I came in and I said, hey, we've got a lot of really amazing camps in our area. They're not Girl Scout camps. They're, they're local camps. They're, they're Christian camps. They're uh, YMCA camps. They're various affiliated camps. Like, what if we were to go to one of those camps, you know, for an event, for an activity? And we don't have to, we can stay in a cabin. We don't have to pitch a tent. And you know what? They have staff that can facilitate the climbing wall and I don't have to be trained in archery and I don't have to be a lifeguard to go there. I can go take my girls and they can experience all the amazing stuff at camp without, um, you know, without me having to do or be an expert in any of it. Um, and so my girls were a little reluctant to go to camp. We went, we had an amazing time at camp and they went back and they, they heard about the amazing time, which then expanded <laughs> into, well, the, the service unit, I had so many troop leaders that said, hey, my girls want to do, they want to do what your girls did. They want to go to camp too. How can we get in on this camp thing? Um, and so then the next year, it was, it was a service unit wide camp event that I had like, I don't know, maybe 10 troops go to this camp event. Well, there were still troops that wanted to go <laughs> that couldn't get in. So it expanded to two camping weekends. And then this year we actually have three camping weekends happening. Um, now due to COVID, most of them are just a single day, like a Saturday only trip. Um, but still we're doing, we're doing three separate weekends. We've got over 300 girls getting outside, going to camp. Um, so it's not necessarily just what my troops done, but it's cool to see other girls get to have that experience as well, like to have that impact beyond just my girls, um, because there's something special that happens at camp when you get outside and you do um, different activities and you take away the screens and the televisions and you just go play and get dirty. Kids are different. Absolutely true. And I, I mean, my best memories as a kid and my best memories as an adult all happen on overnights um, in Girl Scouts and particularly at camping trips. And I love, love, love troop camp and service unit camps. So as the camp coordinator for your service unit, do you have a committee or are you organizing all three of these weekends now? 
So I have a problem with asking for help and <laughs> I'm not very good at that. Um, you know, some of the, the three weekends, uh, it's like one spurred into another. Um, so yeah, I am organizing all of them. Um, but luckily because we're partnering with local camps, um, it is more that I'm just the coordinator of it. So I, you know, I collect the attendee information from the other troops, um, but the camp itself puts on the programming. So they're the ones running the events. They're the ones um, feeding us the meals and providing lodging if we were actually able to spend the night. So from my standpoint, it's more of an administrative um, type role that I'm stepping into. I don't actually have to physically run three weekends of camp. So, but I am there with my troops and my girls, you know, because both of my troops want to go. So I'm, I'm there as a troop leader instead of the camp coordinator. Do your troops go to all three? No, they will be going to two of the three. And then the third weekend, I have another troop leader. That's like the stand in, you know, helper for that weekend coordinator point person. Um, but I still take on the administrative stuff because once you've created one registration form, then you can just duplicate it and do it two or three times. Yeah. So that was my next question actually, is what does the registration process look like and how do you get the word out about it? So it's just amongst our service unit. At, we haven't expanded it beyond service unit borders because we have enough interest in our service unit to fill it up really fast. Um, but our council has already has said in the past that they would be willing to promote these kind of events if we ever, you know, needed, we, we had more uh, availability than we had interest. Um, so in the past, most of the camps require a fairly decent amount of deposit to hold a weekend. So we'll ask troops for a down payment, like a usually about $10 per girl or something like that to hold the weekend. So if it's a, a spring weekend, we'll take deposits in the fall um, so that we, we book that date with the camp and we take the deposit so we can, we can hold the date. And then usually about, hmm, 60 days before, 45 to 60 days before the event, I will send out a final registration form to the leaders. So at the beginning, I just get a, a ballpark. Like, tell me approximately how many girls you think are going to be, or your maximums, like 15 girls, you know, three adults to make my ratios work. Um, and then that 45 to 60 days ahead of time, I get the final number. So at that point, I'm asking them for what girls are attending, their names, and these adults, volunteers that will be attending, what kind of certifications they have, like do they have first aid certified, have they done their camp training, are they a lifeguard, whatever we need for the activity, um, and then also do they have any dietary needs or special needs that we need to be aware of, because our camp partners will um, We'll make that happen. And then once I get that information, I create our trip application through council because everything has to be approved because of the activities and the overnights if we're staying overnight. And then um, send that information off to council and to the camp partner so that they can build our activity schedules. So in advance of that, you know, I've already coordinated with camp. Um, you know, here are the the six to eight activities we're interested in doing. Um, and then from there, camp builds us the schedule and we show up and we just have an amazing day at camp, which is is the way 
you know, leaders, all they have to do is hang out with their girls. They don't have to plan anything or bring anything extra, um, which is why they really like it the most. It's just an easy turnkey program for them. I love this. I'm so nosy because I have been trying to kind of take the initiative to sort of start something like this in my own service unit. Um, because similar to what you described, I think um, my service unit has this history of really focusing on more primitive camping. And that was super frustrating to me when I first started and my girls were really young and they needed to do progression because I thought they have to start with cabins. They have to start with one night. They have to, you know, like it has to be closer to home um, because we have to ease into this primitive camping. And in addition, a lot of times their primitive campouts have very low maximums. So if I have a troop of 21 girls and let's say most of them wanted to come, I mean, we've had between like 21 and 28, I think most of the time. Um, but if, if there's a 50 person maximum, I mean, my troop's going to take up half of that when you include adults and some girls aren't necessarily coming. And so that was really frustrating to me when I first was starting out because I felt like camping with a service unit felt inaccessible to new troop leaders. And so now that I've been doing it for a while, my girls are fine with that setup now. And I mean, I'm not shy about taking up half the spots. I mean, I kind of feel like if you want to make room for other people, then you're going to pick a spot that, I mean, maybe you need the interest. Right. And so, um, so I'm not shy about that anymore, but I also, my girls prefer the camp experience, like what you described, where it's, um, and normally in my area that ends up being at a Girl Scout camp, um, but we do have some like church camps and stuff um, also uh, in our state that, I'm, I mean, I, we could definitely look into, but I, they love that experience of having like all the activities in one place and kind of organize the the dining hall and the cabins and, you know, having that experience. And so um, we had started working on this in the spring of last year, right before everything shut down. So we had like a troop trip that ended up, it was the last weekend of March. And so everything shut down literally like a week before we were supposed to go. Um which was really disappointing, but that was kind of my first foray into it as the coordinator. And, um, and so with that being said, uh, sorry for the tangent, but with that being said, I want these opportunities to be available. And so if they don't exist, I want to create them. Um, are you using like a council specific registration system, or is that something you've coordinated on your own through whatever resources you found? So because it's just our service unit, um, we just use Google Forms. So I created a Google registration form. You know, I could create one for each camp event that we do. Um, and I actually use Google Forms for my troop as well. If I'm collecting RSVPs for an activity or an event, um, I use that a lot. Our, our council uses is using JotForm which is another, it's similar to Google Forms, where you can actually collect payment through the form. Um, so if we were to do it through council, they probably would do the JOT form option, but we, we've been happy with the Google Forms. Um, and then we just do payment separately, like either checks or bank transfers because we're all within the service unit. So we have like shared banking access, um, which makes it pretty easy. So that's what we've been doing. 
That makes sense. Yeah, we use Google Forms in my troop too. Okay, let's switch gears. What is one of your craziest or silliest Girl Scout memories? Oh, goodness. I'm really bad at these kind of questions. <laughs> um, you know, everything goes back to camp, but another aspect, so our, our service unit has had a, a long history of doing day camp. Um, we had it canceled last year because of COVID and we've decided not to do one this year. We just weren't feeling up to tackling it because COVID cases keep going up and down in our area. Um, but you know, there's so much silliness that happens at day camp between crazy hair day, hat day. Um, you know, one thing I've learned is that it doesn't take much for the girls to think it's amazing. So I can plan the most simple activity and they are going to think they're going to think it's great and they're going to take it to the next level. Um, and I'm not coming up with any great ideas or specific memories to that, but I know that they always, they always make me laugh when they come up with things. I love it. I actually just jotted down crazy hair day. Cause I was like, wait, we should definitely do that. Um, it's an easy thing. That's crazy and silly. So I love it. And I know the girls have like spirit week type things at school, but still it's different to do it at Girl Scouts. Um, so we've talked a lot about camp. Let's talk for a second about cookies. So you mentioned you're a cookie cupboard. How did you get involved as a cookie cupboard? That's something that I feel like we need always. And it's so hard to find people who are willing to do it. So can you talk a little bit about what is that like and how did you get involved as a cookie cupboard? Yeah, so a lot of it was selfish. Um, so we, I don't actually live too far from our council office. I'm maybe 15 or 20 minutes away from the, the closest council office, um, which is where the local regional cookie cupboard is located. So for me to get cookies, it was only a, a 15 minute drive one way to go get cookies, which isn't bad by any stretch. Um, but my troop start, started doing a lot of cookies and a lot of booths. And I was like, you know, if I were to have the cookies in my garage and have access to them full time, <laughs> then I wouldn't have to keep going back and forth um, to council. And I, I mentioned that offhand to my service unit director who had been the previous cookie manager in our service unit. And she's like, well, you know, you could have a cookie cupboard in your garage. And I was like, really? Like people do that? And she's like, sure, totally. If you want to do it, council put cookies in your garage, no problem. And so I reached out to council and they were like, yep, you can be a cupboard. Sure. Great. We'll do that. Um, and so this season was my third season. Um, we just finished the third season as a cookie cupboard regionally. And, um, they had to restock me. I think it was three or four times the truck came back to my cupboard every week. They brought me more cookies <laughs> because we just kept going through all the cookies. Um, and it's, it's fun. So it's, they run it on my garage, which works because I live in Michigan and it's cold. And so you can have the cookies in your garage. Um, and then I have limited pickup hours based upon my schedule. I'm fortunate that I work from home. And so I kind of pick the hours that, that work and I tell the leaders, you know, when they're open and they, they can place an order and come pick up at those times. Um, and the leaders in my area, it's really, I feel like, you know, this is, this is selfish or I feel like it's spurned now this year COVID was standing, 
cookie booths were down in general, participation in cookie booths were way down in our area. Many troops totally opted out of it, which is understandable. Um, but prior to that, you know, the troops in our area were doing way more cookie booths than they ever had been before. And a lot of it, we talked up to just the ease of access that they knew they could call me or email me or text me and get cookies, you know, the next day without having to make it into a big production. Um, so that was part of enabling or encouraging troops to do more was part of why I had it. And then the other part is selfish, just so that I don't run out cookies on Sunday morning before my next booth. <laughs> it sounds like you have a really healthy Girl Scout presence in your area. And I'm wondering, I mean, if it's been like that since you've been involved, then maybe this would be harder to speak to. But do you have any advice or suggestions or tips for people who want to have that much of a Girl Scout presence in their area, but maybe they don't? So we've had a healthy partnership with the schools that we're in. Um, in our area, most of our troops are school-based. Um, meaning the girls that are in the troops all pretty much go to the same school, which I know that Sarah, your troop is not that way. Um, so, you know, this year with COVID, we weren't able to go into the schools and recruit, but on a normal year, we would set up um, a parent meeting at each school at the beginning of the school year um, to catch people that are new, that are interested in Girl Scouts, and specifically looking at those, those kindergarten and first grade girls, because that's where we get a lot of girls to come in. And, and we run the meeting in a way that we, we have the girls get to go do activities. We try to get cadet level girls or older and you know, a couple of volunteers to lead activities for them. So we take the girls off to like the school gym and then the parents um, stay behind and learn about the meat of Girl Scouts and what we, what we do, what's fun, what's amazing. Um, and then we also tell them, hey, this is, you know, it's only happens if you're a volunteer and if you step up and do this, then your girls can have these amazing experiences too. Um, and, you know, what we found is that success kind of inspires more success. So when I stand up there as a leader and say, hey, I'm the second grade leader, here's the third grade leader, and here's the first grade leader, and we're here we're here to help you. We're here to support you, um, but we're not going to lead your troop for you, but we're, we'll answer your questions and we'll, we'll give you ideas and we'll, we'll help you out as much as we can. Um, they feel that sense of community and they really, they're, they're more likely to buy into doing it themselves. And so we really just, you know, we kind of try to create one, one troop at a time, one grade level at a time. And um, that's where we've had success in our area with starting those troops. That makes a lot of sense. I think in my area, um, or I guess the area where my troop is based, that used to be really true. We had really, really good relationships with the schools, but they had like changes in district policies and such that really took us a lot further removed from the schools. And the impact has been just incredibly severe, which is sad. But I, I mean, that makes sense. And I always think like, so if we're talking about recruitment, like where are the girls, where are the families, where are the parents really, where are the parents? And um, I mean, school is such an obvious thing. You know, you're going to hit families at school, right? So that it just gets so tricky. Um, but I, I love 
how well oiled it sounds like your structure is where your base that is just really really neat and provides so many opportunities for girls in your area which is so important um so the reason why I started this podcast and one of my favorite things about Girl Scouts is that as adults who are volunteering with Girl Scouts who are involved we get all of the same benefits that the girls get so the program is built for the girls and they get these amazing opportunities and amazing experiences but and opportunities to grow but adults get that too. So what is one way you feel that you've been impacted or changed through your experience of volunteering with Girl Scouts? Yeah, so um, unlike you, the the parents that have girls in my troop are are my friends. I mean, they've become my friends, you know, maybe not my best friends, but I, I have strong relationships with these parents because their daughters are friends with my daughter and um, they're my friends. So the, the network that I've built through Girl Scouts has been amazing. Um, so that's the one side is just the parents that, that volunteer and assist with my troops, with my daughters. And then the other side is that network of the other troop leaders. So learning and growing and building connections there. You know, I've been fortunate to do a couple of leader training weekends that I participated in where I got to go and, you know, learn from other leaders about things that they really like. Um, but just having that, that sense of community, um, you know, that's, I don't know, that's not just related to my kids. It is related to my kids, but it's not. Um, and so that for me, at least in our area, because we do have quite a few troops, those other leaders are, they're all part of my tribe. You know, they're people that I can depend upon if I need, if I need help. Very good answers. Um, so you mentioned that you have um, been in a position where you've been able to help out new troop leaders, giving them advice and pointing them out to your favorite resources. So what advice do you have for new troop leaders, including what are some of your favorite resources? Yes. So one of my advice is to just, it sounds overwhelming, but try to immerse yourself in Girl Scouts. And I, I say that like dabble in a lot of different things. Um, one thing that I really, it's kind of nerdy, but I, I buy the badge booklets and I, I read them. I read them all and I don't memorize them, but I wanna get a feel for what the curriculum is like. So that when I come across an idea and I go, oh, hey, that would tie in really well to the Potter badge, or that would be great for our outdoor adventurer badge. Once I kind of have a baseline idea of what's involved with most of the badges, it really, the planning aspect of Girl Scouts becomes so much easier. Um, so that's one tip. And then the other tip is really, there's, I mean, you can get, if you ask a question on Facebook, you're gonna get, you know, a hundred different answers about how to do something, which is great. Cause if you want a hundred answers, that's the perfect way um, to do it. But I personally, when I'm planning a badge, I usually start with the badge booklet or an activity or a meeting. And then I will consult with other leaders in my area specifically, because they're gonna know if there's a field trip or there's a resource or there's an activity that is unique to our area. Um, and then I love, I do use the volunteer toolkit, but I use it more as a, 
a consultation piece and less as a Bible. Um, before the VTK came along, the River Valley's website was an amazing one um, just to pull ideas from. And so I would definitely take like a, a dabble of, you know, a touch of the badge booklet, a touch of this, a touch of that Pinterest to build my ideal troop meeting. I love that. This has been really fun and I really appreciate all of your um, tips and suggestions and all these different elements of Girl Scouting, especially as like a mentor or leader in all of these different capacities, not just of girls, but also helping new troop leaders with cookies, with camp. Um, And so I just... Thank you, first of all, for taking time with me today to talk about all these different things. But second of all, thank you for what you do, because what you offer is giving so many girls and adults so many more opportunities to thrive in Girl Scouts. And as somebody who loves Girl Scouts, I just, I don't know how often you get to hear thank you. So I just want to say thank you for doing that for everything that you do. And thanks for hanging out with me today. Well, thanks for having me, Sarah. I appreciate you and your podcast. And, and I know I said it earlier before we started taping, but I, I enjoy listening to your stories and your advice. Like a lot of your how-to planning podcasts, I'm like, they just say, I'm like, oh yes, she's speaking my love language of, <laughs> of how we do things. But no, but it's great. It's I think it's easy as a new leader to become overwhelmed, to think you have to do everything because you see there's so many different things out there um but just take take a little nugget of truth from from this or from that and that's what i've learned as a leader that it's it's okay that you you don't have to do it all like just kind of file it away and put it on the someday burner and do do what you can today especially during covid do do what works today and worry about tomorrow later it's okay yeah yeah we're all just doing the best we can and we're volunteers and so you just have to give yourself grace and Um, And sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll share this too. I recently had an experience with a parent where I actually had to use that phrase, like, (laughs) this is the reason why I volunteer. So, and, and it was funny because there was a little tension between us at the time. And as soon as I said it, it was like, she totally backpedaled and was like, yes, thank you for all you do for the girls. And it's like, yeah, you know, I, I don't do this for my health and I don't do this for a paycheck. So like, let's, you know, sometimes you just kind of need, so if anybody needs that script for the future, for yourself, for your spouse, for the parents in your troop, for any, anything that comes up, like even for yourself, right? Like why I'm a volunteer. This is the reason why I volunteer. Okay. Um, and this is not the reason why I volunteer. Okay. So, um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening and and for saying that about the podcast. It, it does mean a lot. And, um, it's, I'm so grateful for you and for some of the other people who have come on recently or messaged me or emailed me um, to share that they're listening because I've been a little vulnerable on recent episodes of struggling with being motivated to do Girl Scouts, struggling with being motivated to do this podcast. And I feel like this community has like rallied for me um, since I got vulnerable and I just am so, so grateful. So thank you for, for saying such nice things. It does mean so much. And um, yeah, so otherwise, I mean, uh, listeners, we will talk to you next week.